Thank you, Paul, and good afternoon. Good to see you all here today. We've got a couple rows in the front that are pretty empty, so anybody that doesn't answer questions will move up. That's how it works here, so keep that in mind. <laughs> keep a lively group today. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to the book of Romans once again. Romans, Romans chapter 12, we'll be reading the first eight verses. Romans chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. May God had a special blessing in reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer this afternoon before we begin our study. Father, again, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love, your care, your grace, your mercy, and especially, Father, for the word. We thank you for how you moved through the minds of men to give us a message from yourself, an unfolding, an unveiling of who you are. Thank you for sharing yourself with us. Especially thank you for Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel, God with us, the perfect form of God as he revealed in physical form God. He took our sins. He died on Calvary's tree. He did everything necessary for us when we accept your gift of grace through faith, eternal life. And Father, we could go on for the rest of this day and beyond in all of the many blessings that you've provided us with. But Father, now we want to also ask for you to take charge of this time of teaching and that the Holy Spirit would solely be and exclusively our teacher today. We would ask that the word would be used and it would go to the innermost parts of our being, that you would change us, that you'd make us into instruments that you can use more readily as a result of us engaging and immersing ourselves and our minds into the word of God. We would ask again, Father, for each one that's come out today, that you would bless them and their families. Father, they have issues, they have concerns, they have life situations. And Father, you know them all. Put your arms around them, hold them, and Father, help them through whatever it is that they need the most. Father, we know we can count on you because you are a sovereign, perfect, holy creator, a God worthy to be praised and to be worshipped. And we'll do that now as we magnify the word of God, asking again for the spirit to lead us in this time. And now we ask this in Jesus' name. 
Well, last week uh, we dealt with verses 1 and 2 of Romans. We were talking about worship, and uh, we were actually springboarding off of another passage of Scripture uh, from Luke chapter 12, and we looked at two things that Jesus said to beware of. He said to beware of hypocrisy and to beware of greed. And it seemed as such it would be important for us to, to get ourselves focused on what's really, really important. And it just seemed almost to dovetail into the fact the importance of worship and then how do we worship? What are some things that maybe uh, you remember from last week, those of you that were here? Uh, what, what did we find out about worship that is certainly noteworthy or things that are the take-home, the reality? Now, as you're thinking about that, um, in Romans chapter 12, it's interesting, again, if you follow the writings of Paul, um, usually, almost exclusively is the fact of all of his letters, he starts off getting you to think right. He wants to get doctrine. He wants to get the, the, the theology. He wants to line that out so that you don't, so your thinking is right. And then he wants to get from doctrine to duty, from learning to living. He wants to get, it, get the rubber to the road. He want, and that's really what he's doing. So chapter 12 of Romans is actually the rest of this book is moving us to incorporating, implementing the things that we have learned about him that is God, to learn about him and what he's done for us in the first 11 chapters. And so he's actually, he lays out a therefore, which we talked about last week, but uh, talk to me about what are some things that you heard last week about worship? Yeah, the highest form, and that, thank you, that, that, if you were going to, if there's a take home, if there's something I wanted you to take home and really become part of your life, it's this, the highest form of worship is obedience. When you know God is directing you and he's unfolded a plan for you, his truth is made clear, the highest form of worship is to obey that. Worship. What else about worship? Excuse me? Yes, in fact, we talked to some of the barriers to worship. And you you need to come to have a, a meaningful worship relationship. And by the way, worship is for our benefit. God wants it. He literally demands it, if you will, because he's worthy of it, which actually prompts us to go back in some previous studies that we are to fear God because he's the only one that literally has the ability, the power, the control to send us eternally one way or the other. That would be the one I would want to be sure I'm on a right relationship with. There's nothing we can do with physical death. Nothing. Anyone that can stop that, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll work with you afterwards because there's nothing that you can do. Every man, woman, and child, every man and woman, I'll say it that way, dies. There's an obituary for every single one. There's only been a couple that have never tasted death. The rest of us, somewhere along the trail, will succumb to it because of sin, that curse that was in Genesis chapter 3. But God, but God, that's a wonderful thing that we find in Ephesians chapter 2. But God saw a perfect way to redeem us, to buy us out of that slave market of sin, to literally have the opportunity, wholly, justly, righteously, to fix our eternal life because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. That's an amazing, that's what the Bible's all about. We have God before it, and at the end of it, he created it. He's going to, for eternity, go on forever. And then all of it in between is the redemption story, what he did for us. Isn't that perfect? And if anything should emanate worship from us, that would be it. We should be worshiping at the highest levels of understanding of that we could possibly be in our very innermost being because of what he's accomplished. 
That's what worship is. And for us to obey Him is amazing. Now, it does say, in fact, the motivation for worship, remember it last week? It was... You're, you're, there's a few of you safe, no problem, and make sure, you, 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 good, good call. But, yeah, be, because of the mercies of God. And what is a mercy? The mercy is what? Not giving us what we deserve. And literally, even grace is something we don't deserve. We talk about, on one hand, mercy, not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. But literally, think of it this way. Everything you have is because of the mercy of God. Even grace is a mercy. We have, we have no business in deserving it, but mercy... And all of the things that he has not given us that we deserved because of that is motivation for us to worship him. What an amazing story is to see God working in our lives and for our return into worshiping him and dedicating ourselves. Now, it goes on and let's go back and review for just a moment. Romans chapter 12, it says that our reasonable service or our active worship is to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Um, giving your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that's a commitment. Now, let's, first of all, one of the things that helps us is understand if you've trusted Christ as Savior. Now, if you're here today and have not trusted Christ as Savior, then listen carefully because literally this is what it's all about. Uh, this is what God has designed to give you if you would just reach out. Let's go to 1 Corinthians for a moment. And let's look at this. When you are a a new creature in Christ, when you've trusted Christ as Savior, there's a, something has changed. Something has changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's look at verses 19 and 20. Uh, probably a very familiar passage to most of you, but think of it this way. It, it just seems obvious then for us to give God our body. In verse 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this. What? And know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, man, that's pretty clear, isn't it? He's done all the work. He's accomplished what's necessary to redeem you, to own you, to purchase you. Go back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, telling us that literally that is where the Holy Spirit lives, is within you if you've trusted Christ. Verses 8, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 8 of Romans says, But if you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Speaking just very, uh, in another way of saying, if you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. He lives within you. So therefore, we should be committed to giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. I, I thought there was two, uh, two situations that I would have to think, uh, putting it in our minds again in the sense of living sacrifice. Go back to the Old Testament with me. And literally, there was a living sacrifice uh, by the name of Isaac. Remember our young lad, Isaac. He was probably a teenager. His father, Abraham, and him. Uh, well, God gives Abraham a vision, a dream. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, Isaac, and I want you to go to the mountain and I want you to worship him. I'm, I'm, you want, I want you to worship me by sacrificing your son. Easy, right? Whoa. And 
what we might have done is maybe called a committee meeting and a steering committee meeting of all of the neighbors in the area. Abraham would say, guys, I want to just get your opinion on this. I, I had a vision last night and God told me to take my son Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And I was just curious what you guys thought about that to see if I should follow through with this situation. <laughs> However, in our country, in our nation, in our world, you know, there's so many things that are done as a result of a poll nowadays. What does the other people think? Do you know what God thinks about other people? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God makes the rules. Now, for Abraham, I would have to say, if you would have asked him to do that 25 years earlier, in fact, before he had his son even, for even to contemplate that, I'm not sure that he would have been ready to do that. But that's another thing for us. God will never ask you to do something he's not prepared for you to do. Not saying it's easy, but Abraham was at right time and he said nothing, did he? The next morning early, you read the scripture in verse 22 of of Genesis, you will find early in the morning, he and his servants take off on a three days journey. Now think of those three days as you're thinking about what's going to take place. And then he says, which we actually looked at it last week, I think it's so pertinent. He says to to his servants, he says, stay here. My son and I will go to the mountain and worship God. Whoa. He had trust. And see, that's part of worship. I trust God with everything I am, with everything I have, with everything I'm going to be, and with everything that I maybe won't have. I trust God. That is exactly where Abraham was. And to think of Isaac, young Isaac, and I, he was, he was more than likely a teenager at that time frame. And he goes along and he said, they're walking up the mountain. Dad, he said, we got the fire. We got the wood. Actually, he's got the wood. Uh, where is the sacrifice? A moment of truth for Abraham. What does he say to his son now? Perfect answer, because I think God gave it to him. The Lord will provide. How many times have you been in a pickle and you've got your back to the wall and it doesn't seem there's any way out? And your answer is, the Lord will provide. I'm going to trust him. You see why he's worth worshiping? And then it just, now again, it's getting a little more tense. Have you ever noticed how you really get close to the end? Isaac, under his father's direction, is now tied on the altar. And as Abraham raises his knife to slay the sacrifice. Now, in Abraham's mind, what does he see? He's beyond that. He sees what God had promised before, knowing that that would be the beginning of a legacy of a people that God had promised to him. He said, I don't know how we're going to get there right now, but God, you are in charge. Isn't that beautiful? Now, whose benefit was that for? God knew what he would do. It was for Abraham to literally see, he, I really, I am in God's hands. And just at that moment, he said, stop, stop. I now know where you're at. And it was for Abraham's benefit. And guess what's hanging around? <laughs> just happens to be a ram. Just, just happens to be one there. And guess what? Isaac was the happiest guy in the mountain and said, how great is that, Dad? I've got a substitute he was a living sacrifice wasn't he He lived to tell the story but literally right there jesus christ would be another example of a living sacrifice well wait a minute he was he was killed yes he was slain he 
gave everything, his last drop of blood for mankind, was dead, was buried, but rose again. That's a living sacrifice. And because of him, today we can be living sacrifices. Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful. And he wants us all to have that. Jesus Christ died for every one of us. A living sacrifice. But he doesn't just want our bodies. He also wants our mind. I, I think when I thought of this today, just actually thought of it right now, there's a, a, a friend of mine in, in Kansas that we, or in Oklahoma rather, I'm sorry, in Oklahoma that we sell a lot of bulls to. And in one, of it, one opportunity I had to go back and visit them. And this guy's father, who was in his 80s, I'm going to say he was 87 or 88, just a spry guy, just, you know, you could just, just a ball of fire. And we had lunch together, and we were just visiting about stuff. And he says, uh, how's, uh, how's the hired help situation around? We were visiting about that. He said, you know, we had a guy here one time, and he said we got him. He was, out, he was in college, got out, and uh, we hired him. And we went along for a couple of weeks. And I came to him at lunch, and I said, uh, I don't remember his first name. Let's just call him John. I don't know. He said, John, he says, we've had your body for two weeks. What would it take to get your mind? <laughs> isn't that good? That's really good, isn't it? I said, how did it work out? He said, we never could get it. <laughs> and he's just a happy go like. But, you know, you think about it. Now, sometimes we just, we give God what really is easy to give, but your mind, your mind is what controls your body. And he wants your mind because you have to think properly to be able to act properly. He wants all of your mind. He wants your mind. But it doesn't only stop there. Oh, wait, wait a, wait a second, though. Wait a second. Do you remember what he said, he, what Paul said in verse 2? He said, one thing we have to be careful about with our mind. It's so easy, isn't it? There's, there's a preach. We'll get it. No, I'm not going to stop. I'm not, not going to go down that trail right now. If you think about it, the world is constantly from the exterior, from the outside, pressing, exerting pressure on us to, what's the word? Conform us. To conform us to the ways of the world. And that's external pressure to kind of force you. You've heard of the word peer pressure. Sometimes we do really stupid stuff because somebody else thought that was a good idea for us to do, right? And we could be 108 or 8. doesn't matter. We always think of peer pressure being in our teenage. Oh, no. It's all the way through, right? It, it, please nod your heads because it is. Peer pressure is everywhere. And, but that is literally society pressing us into its mold. But the term that he uses, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what is that? The term behind that is metamorphosis. Tell me what metamorphosis is. Give me an example of a metamorphosis. A butterfly. What? And it's interesting, that's an inside job, isn't it? If you were going to watch this carefully, and I remember our science teacher, just as we were just grade schoolers, it was ama- we would always look for a situation. He, would, he or she would come with something, and where we would see this caterpillar that went in a cocoon. And now think carefully with me now. What do you think is going to come out of there, logically? A caterpillar, right? Maybe he's prettier, maybe he's not, but it's going to be a caterpillar. No, this is truly metamorphosis. Is a caterpillar goes in the cocoon and boom, a butterfly blows out of there. Friends, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does to us. When we become a believer and we trust him, from the inside, our minds are transformed, metamorphosed. To where you can't even recognize the result. 
That's exactly what he's talking about. When he wants your mind, because he will change it, transform it. We're asked to not be a conformer, but a transformer. But not only does God want our mind, which controls our body, and our body, which is his, he also wants our will. He wants our will. Now, that's a, that's a toughie, isn't it? Because your will controls your mind. Your mind controls your body. So if, if you don't have the will, you still don't really have it all, do you? The will is what drives you. The will is what controls you. Your will. He wants your will. Because it's who you are. There was something that uh, I found this interesting. This is a book that was written in the 80s, a man by the name of William Kilpatrick. He was a professor of educational psychology at Boston College, a graduate of Harvard. And he wrote a book, Psychological Solutions, The Failure of Modern Psychology. He said this statement, Extreme forms of mental illnesses are always extreme cases of self-absorption. That is very, very true. You find someone that's full of paranoia, you will find a person that's very, very self-absorbed. Look at our nation today and all of the mental illnesses that are going, taking place. And, and you can say, yes, it's drug-induced or it's drunkenness or it's all of these different things. The reason that usually those things are sought after is because of self-absorption. Self, 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 self. When Satan can sell the self story in the package... He's winning all day long. His biggest message to preach, take care of yourself. Look out for number one. Has that seemed familiar? New York bestsellers lists? Watching out for number one? It's all, it, that's conforming. That's being conformed by the world. Watch out for that. He wants your body, he wants your mind, and he wants your will. Now, not only do you want to have the proper Sacrifice, that's ourselves, all of us, that's worship. But there's also a proper attitude. A proper attitude. We find that in verse 3. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let's look at verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What is he saying there? What, what literally, at the end of verse 3, he's asking us to be what? He's asking us to think how. Well, what, what is he saying here? What is, this, what is this whole message about? He's just told us to worship by giving ourselves, giving our minds and our wills to God. And the highest level of obedience, I'm sorry, the highest level of worship is obedience. And now he's, he changes the subject just a little bit. Well, even after doing that, you've got to have the right attitude. You've got to think right about this. Now, I would have to say verse 3. In one word, what would you say that that's describing for us? Meekness, meekness is a good one. Yeah, meekness. And what is meekness? It is power under control. I, I think the meekest person that's ever lived is Jesus Christ. Because meekness is that where you have the opportunity, you have the power, you have the control to literally change the situation or take, for instance, Pilate. Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate thinks he's in control of Jesus. You know, literally, Jesus could have went 
click your fingers, and poof, you are gone. And Pilate thought he was just holding. No, it wasn't that way, was it? But Jesus, in his meekness, allowed things to work out for God's will to be completely unfolded for our benefit. What if Jesus would have quit the program early? I'd have nothing to say to you today. I would have no encouraging words whatsoever. In fact, I wouldn't be here. There would be no point. I would be out just, I guess, living it up, whatever that would mean, because without Jesus Christ, there is no answers. There are no answers to death. There are no answers to spiritual eternal death. There's no answers. So I wouldn't be here. But there is answers because Jesus fulfilled every obligation that was necessary for the law to be fulfilled and for grace to be marvelously unfolded and packaged for us. It's amazing. Another word I'm thinking of that goes right along with meekness is what? We find it in Philippians chapter 2. In fact, write these verses down. You might read them later. Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 5. And it describes for us the epitome of humility. 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 Meekness and humility. Wonderful, wonderful concepts of which we seem to be almost completely absent of in our country today, isn't it? It's amazing. How much humility is being displayed in the halls of Washington, D.C. today? It's amazingly absent, isn't it? Uh, There's no voter there, is there? Humility? No one here by that name. But God is very clear. Please don't think too highly of yourself. Very important to have a proper attitude. A very, very, very important. A proper attitude. Well, let's keep going. He's going to move now from, uh, from a right sacrifice to a right attitude into the right relationship. Watch what he says next now in verse 4. He ties it all together. He says, for as, verse 4, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. So if you think about this, the relationship they have, if, first of all, the relationship you have between God and you, that's a personal relationship. You've trusted Christ. You are now one-on-one with God. But what also happens is you have been placed into a brand new body. It's called a church. It's a living organism, not, not, not a building. There's some really cool-looking buildings that are called churches. Now, the building by itself, you take the members out, or you take the people out, you take that individual Christian out of it, guess what? The church is not there. The church is much more than a building. It's living. It's breathing. It's beautiful. It's all about God. And each and every one of you here that's trusted Christ, you're a member of the body. Now, how about if you were all arms on a body? Are all feet? Are all ears? It seems ludicrous, doesn't it? And yet, so often, there's so many that want to be the same thing, or we're, we're, we're striving to compete for that. I want to read. Uh, see if I can find this. Maybe I can't. I was just thinking. I was on a different page. On my phone, anyway. I'll, I'll probably fair, paraphrase this for a moment. But there was a, a story told um, uh, in the animal kingdom in the beginning. There was. Uh, It was thought about everything that was going on and that they should have a school and they should be teaching running, swimming, climbing. And there's one more. Can't think of it. But at any rate, what was it? It was. It was. It was flying. Yeah, it it was. So they gave a quick rundown on the students, the pupils that were coming, and they said uh, the one that the ducks did very well at swimming. 
better than the instructor, but had to stay after school because they weren't very good at running. In fact, they stayed after school so much that actually their webbed feet began to hurt so much they weren't even very good at swimming. And the rabbit, he was horrible at swimming. And, but he stayed, and that's so he stayed a long time after. And he, he was so beat up that he couldn't even run. And the eagle, he was always a nonconformist. They said he wouldn't do anything the way the instructor wanted. He would be the best at flying, but he would never do it the way the instructor wanted him to do it. Think of that for a minute. Isn't that, doesn't that just kind of depict the Christian community somewhat? It's always wanting to be pushed into another mold that we didn't really, or we really weren't gifted to do what we really were made to do. Each and every one of you are unique. So one of the things we want, as we start to fold now into the gifts, which we're going to talk very general, because sometimes we spend most of our life trying to figure out what gift we have, and I'm trying to make it narrow and fitting with it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about God made you very, very unique, and he wants you to minister, to serve in whatever capacity he has placed you in this world for. And you may have crossover. There may not be just one of the gifts areas. Isn't that that freeing? Well, I'm not really exactly that. That's okay. A rabbit's really good at running. A duck is really good in water. A duck doesn't necessarily climb too well. Right? You see, do you see what I'm saying? And sometimes we... Now, by the way, now, again, I want to I I bring us back to this for a moment. Just because we don't feel gifted does not mean we're not supposed to continue to serve in whatever capacity that we're placed in. Okay? We may not be the best at it, but that's okay because God uses it. We are here to give, not to take. To give. Your gift is not for you. My gift is not for me. Your gift is for the church. My gift is for the church. We all work together. That's exactly what he's talking about when he's talking about relationships. And the body is made up of many members. Let's uh, let's go now to verse 6. Verse 6 says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Did you notice that? There's gifts that are different because of his grace. And he unfolds it specifically, uniquely for us. Now, he talks about the first one as being prophecy. 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 I think even before we go here, let's talk a moment about the categories of gifts. And I'm gonna tr- we'll try to make it really simple. Now, if I was to ask you, would you tell me all of the gifts that are listed for us in the Scripture? And you could come up with some, but it would be over the top, right? And you'd probably be short a couple. So let's just talk about categories first. Um, we find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We find them in Romans chapter 12. We find them in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Very, very general. We also find them in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? But let's, for the simplicity, let's just talk about the three categories of gifts. Now, again, what's the purpose of a gift? To serve. And ultimately, when we're serving, we're, we're worshiping. Which is, that's what this is all about. That's how, what's driven us here. So number one, you'll find that in, as the, let's unfold the church now for a moment. Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of that. It's, it's brand new. It's a whole new dispensation. It's a whole new event. And Jesus Christ has now left the scene. He's gone. The disciples are wondering, what are we going to do? But Jesus had tried to tell them. In fact, he prayed. He, he spoke with them. He encouraged them. He consoled them. He said, 
I have to leave. I, you know, that's the way he said, I have to leave so that the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will come and live within you. And the power of the word will be made massive. They were still clinging to Jesus. Literally, he takes off for heaven, and they are left feeling a bit alone, I'm sure. As we, can you imagine Jesus being your teacher for three years? Whoa, I would love to have a couple of weeks of that, right? But to have him literally disappear, and they're just waiting in Jerusalem, kind of behind locked doors even. They, they didn't know what's up. And this whole thing starts to emerge. And on one morning, the Holy Spirit comes in that room <laughs> and changes everything. The world is changed. Some of the things that was necessary at a beginning of a dispensation or a brand new event is the fact of miracles and sign gifts. They've spoken in languages they'd never spoken in before. Isn't that, well, that would be pretty cool. Now, there was an event, a feast, of which people that were Jews came from all over the known world, came into this place, and all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit, those disciples were able to speak a brand new language, one they didn't know, to people that received it, and they couldn't believe that those Galileans, those untaught, uneducated disciples, would be able to know. What did it prove? It proved that God is authenticating this program. Had those apostles, when they healed those people that came that were diseased and were sick, what did it authenticate? The church. All of those sign gifts, those miraculous workings, were there to authenticate what God had begun in what we are here, the recipients of today, the church. I'm so glad we're in the church age. I wouldn't have been a very good sacrificial age kind of a guy. I would have been tough for me. I mean, I'd have stuff going to the, to the altar all the time. Oh, honey, we need another five sheep. I had a bad day, right? And it was only the foreshadow to show what Jesus Christ literally accomplished. His one life, perfect, holy, righteous, God, 100% God, 100% man, took away all of those things that we couldn't fix. One time, for all. And it's so fantastic. I love the time frame where we're at right now. I'm glad I'm on this side of the cross of Jesus. Those Old Testament saints looked forward to it, not knowing his name, not knowing ultimately what would happen, but trusting God with what he would do. We have a wonderful relationship right now in being able to look backwards and see all of history unfold for us. To watch Jesus Christ literally divide the time. He was like a, a, a mountain top. What's oh, a, a continental divide, if you will, a divide of time. There was before Christ and after Christ. Jesus Christ cut time in half because he was the one that made the whole difference. Isn't that amazing? What a powerful story. What a powerful story. I have no idea where it's going to take you now. Oh, yes, the three categories, three categories. So the first category, actually, you'll find it in, you'll find this category in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it is called sign gifts. And I've just described for you their purpose was to authenticate, authenticate what God was doing. And you'll find that in each dispensation that he does miraculous works to authenticate what he's up to. Okay. Now, the second one is, we're gonna, now, we, we, those aren't in our passage in Romans chapter 12. We'll talk about this in just a second. Um, the second one we find is the speaking gifts. This is the first one. You remember we just talked about prophecy. Speaking gifts. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little further, but just to start out, uh, prophecy would be kind of a dual-edged uh, gift. 
in the Old Testament, there was the sense of prophets giving revelation. They didn't have their Bible. Uh, Don't you like that? If you don't know what to do today, you go home tonight and you say, man, I've got a real problem in my hands. I do not know what to do next. Do you know when you pick up the Word of God, you have His full revelation? He can work through that. The Holy Spirit, which lives in you, and you continue to immerse yourself in it, the answers come. Now, not necessarily immediately. You just don't boom, boom, boom. Guess what happens? It's counted all joy when you fall into trials, right? Nobody's counting out too much joy right now. (laughs) But literally, he's using circumstances. But you know what? The full revelation, the full word of God from the front of where he created it to the end where we go off into eternity forever in life with him. Forever. That's, That's, it's fully there. But in the Old Testament, there was a whole lot of things that weren't revealed about the future. And so prophecy had a sense of foretelling. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, foretelling, okay? But as we have the Bible today, not to say that there are some situations potentially, but the, the sense of foretelling, revealing something that was not revealed before, there's really no need for it because we have the full revelation. But there is the sense of foretelling. Telling, in other words, speaking about the Word of God. That's what prophecy is on either side of those. And there's, circ- there's circumstances and situations in the Old Testament and the New Testament revealing both sides of the gift of prophecy. And that would be one of the speaking gifts. But let's keep going. There's also the third one. See how easy this is going to be to remember the categories. If somebody asks you tonight, what are the categories? Or you can tell them. You can say, I know the three categories of the spiritual gifts. And the third one, I'll bet you already know, it starts with an S. Serving. They were the serving gifts. See how easy this is going to be? We have sign gifts, speaking gifts, serving gifts. All right, let's dig in. Now, I do want to say this. The sign gifts, you'll find them only in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That book was written in A.D. 54. Very active. In fact, we could go on. I, 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 I hate to go down this branch because I could get trapped. And I would get out there so far, we'd finally break off and I'd run out of time. So I'm not going to do that. But Corinthian church were in the Corinth, which was a very worldly, a very carnal city. There was a whole lot of paganism in the sense of their religion and their, in their past and their backgrounds. So they had this thing about kind of boasting and meeting in a deity, getting closer, the intimacy. In fact, one of the things was through alcoholic beverages, through drugs, to get to where well, you're literally out of your mind... They felt you were closer to God when you were out of your mind. Okay, and that was the paganistic background they had. So actually, the sign gifts were ones that they would have elevated to the sense of desiring and actually were totally out. They were boasting about what they had. There's a whole lot more we could say about that. But literally, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that book was written by Paul in A.D. 54. Okay? And it was very, by the way, the apostles were extremely aggressive. They were extremely active in the sense of still authenticating all of the work of the churches. They're traveling through the missionary journeys. All of these things going on, it still required the sense of authentication. Very active. Made, made, made a lot of sense. Now, the next book that's actually written is Romans. And that's what we're working on. And it was written A.D. 58. No mention is made of the sign gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 mentions the, mentions the gifts. It was written in A.D. 63, no sign gifts mentioned. 1 Peter chapter 4, written in A.D. 66, no sign gifts were mentioned. To me, it makes some sense that even the succession of writings of the, of the Bible and the full revelation, the sign gifts really were a time-framed gift. 
They were, they were a, there was a time period for them. Now, again, to say that God couldn't use it, one of the things, for instance, to speak in a tongue today, let's say that God called, let's say God called Paul and Luce to go to Russia to be a missionary. Missionaries, okay? Now, a perfect example of a tongue or a sign gift would be Paul and Luce would slip off this plane in what would be a town in Russia? Moscow. And they come off the, off the, uh, the spillway. spill, not the spillway, <laughs> spillway. Oh my goodness. What do they call when you come off the plane and you get to the tarmac? That is the Stairs. stair. We'll call it a stairway. How about that? Okay. Okay. So, so they're getting off the plane. We're getting way off topic and he gets, steps off. He steps and there's a whole group of Russians that are there just meeting. And they've heard about these two missionaries coming and Paul is able to speak in perfect Russian to them about Jesus Christ. And they receive it. That is exactly what the gift of tongues is about. Okay? And I still believe that there are situations in the world of which that is very pertinent. And God can use it at any time he wants. But that's literally the time frame of which it was very active. And it's amazing to watch the time of these books being written it became less and less important because God had said, now it's fixed. We're okay. Now we want to get the full commission of the church activated and running. And as we talk about speaking and serving gifts today, there are seven of them, seven areas. That sounds good, doesn't it? What's number seven? It's complete. It's completion. And you know what? The church can run adequately in every way. I'm going to give these to you just in case I forget at the end. But the, these, these, we're going to break them down, but listen to me carefully. Um, this was actually going to be at the end, but that's okay. So prophecy is proclaiming truth. Proclaiming truth. Serving, which is called ministry, we'll find that serving is putting truth in action. It's operations. So proclaiming truth, operational. Teaching, the gift of teaching is systematic truth. It's systematizing. It's, it's making truth. That's one of the things... Uh, when, you, when, you under, when you're under good teaching, it's amazing how the Bible, it just fits together. You leave a, a session and you say, man, that was cool how the Holy Spirit just, it's really put that into place for me. I get that clearer than I've ever gotten it before. That's the gift of teaching. It systematizes the truth. Number four is exhortation or encouragement. It's motivation to motivate. Number five is giving. That's implementation. Number six is ruling or, or the sense of leading, and that's mobilization. And number seven is mercy or consolation. Now, have you noticed, if you put those, did I give you seven of them? Okay. Did you see in those seven, if you start to look at the church from all different parameters and angles, it all puts it in a working order organism. All of those things are all in place to make it all run smoothly. And guess what happens when everybody's giving of their gifts to the church? Worship it is an all-time high. It's beautiful. All things working in, in conjunction. Now, let's go back and let's work on prophecy for a moment. Prophecy. Let's first of all go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. 
But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Literally, that gift of prophecy means to be speaking publicly, to proclaim, to preach. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Back to 1 Peter chapter 4. And let's look at verse 11. It defines it even a little bit further. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, If any man speak, proclaim, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, using the word of God, the, the truth of God, to literally be what he's proclaiming or what he's speaking about. Now, he could be foretelling, that is in the sense of revelation. He could be forthtelling in the sense of reiteration. But one of the things, and this is speaking... Uh, Talk to me about who one would be a prophecy, uh, one that have a gift of prophecy and or um, a prophet, shall we say. Um, I'm thinking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist. What do you know about John the Baptist? Not a lot, apparently. Um, what, he lived before Jesus Christ. What was his purpose? What was he, what was he supposed to be doing? He came to prepare. He was proclaiming the truth. He said, prepare Hopefully that's not mine. I'll shut it off if it is. No, I've got mine here. How about that? It sounds just like mine, though. Isn't that amazing? Okay, at any rate, he's proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ is coming. Prepare your hearts. Repent, for Jesus is at hand. That's, that's, a, that's a gift of prophecy. Now, he's speaking to unbelievers and to believers. You show me a preacher, a man, a man or woman that's given prophecy, and guess what? They can speak about God's truth in a relevant way. They can take society and all of its struggles, they can take God's word, and they can make it so pertinent that it makes perfect sense. It's a proclamation. It's a gift of preaching. It's a gift of not teaching. They're very distinct. We'll get to that in a second. But that we, we, need, more of, we need more of those, don't we? We need a lot more of those. We need a lot less of that. But we need more of those preachers, don't we? We need those to proclaim the Word of God and the significance of it in the day in which we find ourselves living. It's, it's almost like we've, we've, uh, our society always thinks that the Bible is old-fashioned, it's irrelevant, it doesn't fit us anymore, and, and we're way beyond that. No, I don't think so. The Bible is very, very up-to-date. It's, even the minor prophets, it's amazing for me, and you start reading through the minor prophets, it fits us perfectly. Sad to say. But that's the gift of prophecy. Very, very important. Very, very important. Let's, uh, did we go to 1 Peter? We didn't do that, did we? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. <clears throat> oh, no, we did do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, we did that. Okay, sorry. Let's look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 on your way back. 2 Timothy chapter 4, something that uh, Paul was saying in his last letter to to Timothy, I thought this was a very, it just fits together perfectly with what we're talking about today. In verse 2, we'll start in verse 1, though, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead his appearance, at his appearing and his kingdom. That kind of sets it all up. And then he says, verse 2, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. That is literally the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. 
Well, let's go back to our scripture in uh, Romans chapter 12, our text, Romans chapter 12, and let's look at our second one, the second gift. And again, he's not necessarily trying to, uh, to just fine-tune the sense as much as he is as giving general instructions. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 and let us look at verse 7. Well, we'll read verse 6 again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now, one of the things I think is extremely important is that he's, he's, he's really what he's getting at. We're going to find seven of these areas of gifts, and he's going to say, if that's your gift, then do it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. That's the whole thing about what Paul's whole thing is. He said, now, after you've learned what's right, now do what's right. In other words, these gifts, just because you have them, well, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I can do that. No, 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 no. Just use them. That reminds me of Moses. Remember Moses? And Moses back in the desert herding sheep. First of all, he's in Egypt for 40 years. He messes that thing up really bad, right? He gets ahead of God. Then he's in 40 years in the desert learning how to be a servant, listening to God's call. And then God comes and he says, I've got the next 40 years for you to kind of chase after some people. I've had you on the sheep. Let's go to the people. And Moses says what? Oh, no. Not, not me. I'm out. I, I gave up. I have nothing for you. There's nothing here for you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And you know what he kept doing? He kept pressing, kept pressing, kept pressing. And Moses finally, no, find somebody else. And finally God, it said actually God became impatient, became angry. And he said, you know what? You know your brother Aaron? He's coming right now. He's going to meet you when we're done here. He will be your mouth. He, the, the word really literally means he will prophesy. I, you're going to put your words in his mouth, and he's going to say that, and I'm going to put my word into your mouth. It's going to work that way. It's going to be me, God speaking, Moses, and then Aaron. That's exactly what happened. And you know what? The fa- very fact that Moses minimized his gift would show us again what? It wasn't humility at all, was it? It was actually a sense of false pride. That's why we need to take proper assessment of who we are in God. So let's go to serving. Now let's go to ministry. Verse 7, it says, Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. It's also called the gift of helps. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Verse 28 says, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. That's the same one we have for serving here, the sense of ministry. To be practical, to be uh, supportive. It can be done in a million ways. There's no limit, quite honestly. If you have the gift of helps, the gift of serving, guess what? You can see somewhere to help somebody all the time. And it doesn't, I mean, it's amazing. There's a zillion ways to literally be part of that. Oh, can I, can I help? Can I, can I get involved in that? Can I, what, if, what if I did this? And you know what happens? When you have that gift, there's joy and there's refreshment as you give yourself to that situation. The gift of serving. The wonderful supportive gifts. It's awesome in what it does for the body. The next one we have, let's go back to uh, Romans chapter 12, and we find the sense of teaching. It goes from ministry, and then it says in verse 7, or he that teacheth on teaching. In other words, if you have the gift of teaching, then teach. Tell me again, uh, what... What's the difference between teaching and preaching? Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, teaching would be the systematic training of the Word of God. When you're sitting under a teacher, he is able to disseminate things that clarify and put things in order and systematically allow the Bible to make more sense 
And it's not just one time. It's, it's a continuum. You come back and you come back and you come back and it just continues to flow. And the Holy Spirit works systematically in unfolding what's the important in the sense of truth. Let's turn with me to, the, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 20, it's actually part of the instructions that Jesus leaves to his disciples upon his leaving, proposed leaving of the earth. And verse, um, we'll start in verse 18, Matthew chapter 28, and he's speaking to his disciples. And even it's an order, it's a command to us today. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore, in other words, because of that, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That gift of teaching, he is literally, that's the part that keeps things flowing in the sense of the expansion of the work. It's passing on the truth, passing on the truth. Turn with me. This is an interesting passage. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, it went on the road to Emmaus. Remember, Jesus Christ had been crucified. He was dead. He was buried. And some of his disciples were leaving. They had given up. Let's read this passage. We'll find Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Behold, two of them, speaking of the disciples, went that same day. Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. To a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Uh, I, that just, that, that's just hilarious because they're talking. I'm sure they're, just, they're actually probably just sloughing their feet because this, this is a sad day. Jesus, the one that they'd watched and followed and been part of for three years, they watched him hang on a cross. He was taken off. He's dead. He's buried. It's over. Party's over. It's over. <laughs> just wasted our time. And they're just shuffling down the road. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy. Joins up with them. Who would be the last person, the last person they would think that would be joining up with them? Jesus, right? And he joins up, and they don't know who he is. Now watch. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one another as you walk and are sad? What's the problem? One of them, whose name was Cleophas, he answered, saying, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? He's kind of chastising a little bit. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? You, you, you haven't heard what happened to Jesus? You haven't heard what's happened to our, to our king, to our, the one that I was really counting? You haven't heard about him? And they're talking to him. <laughs> Keep watching. What's Jesus going to do? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto them, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things are done. Yes, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early in the sepulcher. And when they found out his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Right? This is, a, this, is, this, is a, this is a teaching moment. Right? Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he... Ex- what, did you see the word? Expounded. He expounded. What does that word mean? Teaching. 
He systematically took the Bible and unfolded it before their eyes for them to see exactly what the message was about. And they drew nigh. I'm sorry, I'll finish reading. He expounded on them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. They drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. They constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for toward evening, the day is far spent, and he went on to tarry with them. He came to pass, he sat at meat with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said this one to another, did, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? See, that's what keeps a church vibrant, is the gift of teaching. To allow the scriptures to be unfolded, you, that fire that God uses to explode the growth of our learning and, and the whole opportunities that we see around us, the gift of teaching. Different from the gift of prophecy. It's not just proclamation, it's teaching, passing on the truth. Let's go back to Romans. Let's keep going. And it, we have the, f- the fourth one of exhortation. Now, there are some people that believe there's a gift of criticism. Has anyone been experienced by that one? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, there's some look of horror on some of your faces. And others were saying, really? Can I, I think I've got that one. <laughs> right? But the sense of exhortation, what's another word for exhortation is encouragement. Encouragement, a, a gift of encouragement. And there are a lot of people that have that thankfully, because there's a lot of people that need encouragement. They get down. They're weak, downtrodden. And exhortation is, it, it's, a, it's a calling for the right response to truth. It's motivation. It's challenging God's people to act consistently with God's will. Let me say that one more time. Challenging God's people to act consistently with God's will. No matter where people are in their journey, They need encouragement. And that's what the Word of God is so good at. It's so amazing. Chapter 8 of Romans. I've used that one so much myself. You you just get downtrodden and you just, oh, man, I don't know if I can keep going. And you know what? The promises of God cheer you up, motivate us, keep us on the road. Now, you may be knocked down, but you're never knocked out. Never knocked out. And that person that has the gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement... uh, Tell me someone that you know of in the New Testament that had the gift of encouragement. Barnabas was really a good example. Remember, now what if you would have been Paul? Let's slip into Paul's shoes for a moment. And you were a kind of a nasty, dirty rat. You had killed, you had maimed, you had literally punished and persecuted members of the church. And all of a sudden, you literally run into Jesus. You run, Jesus runs into you. Let's put it that way. He's on the road to Damascus, and boom! Lights came on bright. He's knocked to his knees. And he said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And the lights go out. They haul him into the nearest town. And he meets with, can't think of his name right now. What was his name? Not Barnabas, but it was somebody else. Oh, goodness. What was his name? Can't think of it. Sorry. Nope. Um, I'll, get in a, I'll get in a minute. Anyway, that, can you imagine taking him now? Oh, he says, by the way, Saul who's now Paul, I'm going to have him meet with you. And I need you to put your hands on him so that his, his, you can, he can see out of his eyes. And he said, is that the same Paul that's persecuting the church? Is that that guy? <laughs> but he did the right thing. Now, what would you do as church members, members of the church, this growing organism, and you hear that Paul got saved? 
Oh, sh- sure he did. Yeah, right. Absolutely. What, would, what could be a better way to infiltrate us and then really take us out? But you know who was the one that stepped in? It was Barnabas. He said, wait a, wait a minute. I've been with Paul. I'm here to say that you can trust him. He's trusted Christ, and I'm here to say he needs our encouragement. He needs to be lifted up. He needs to be motivated. We need to get behind him, and we need to take off and spread the gospel across the entire world. That's the words of one that has a gift of encouragement, gift of exhortation. Does that need it in the church today? Oh, my goodness. We need it more than we've ever needed it. More than we've ever needed it. The gift of exhortation. Challenging God's people to act consistently with his will. Let's go back to Romans one more time. We have the word after that of giving. In verse 8 again, For he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Now, first of all, I'd like you to say that word that's the word that is translated giving is from a Greek word that means to be a super giver. It's, it's actually a ramped up sense of giving. It's a super giver. So now, by the way, all of us should be giving. All of us should be giving in in regards to to God's church. I mean, that's just who we are. But there's some of you that are gifted with being a super giver. I mean, that's just, you can't help yourself. You're so excited to be able to help with the ministry of God. You have that gift, and it brings joy and uh, amazing amount of of uplifting to yourself. Now, I want to ask you about that simplicity. Let him do it simplicity. What do you mean by that? While you're thinking about it, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. We're going to start winding up here in a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. And this they did. I'm sorry, let's step back. Um, verse 4. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift... And take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. That's one of the things first, is is they're giving everything themselves to the Lord. That's what sets this whole thing up. Acts chapter 2, if you think about that, we'll not go there. But Acts chapter 2, another chapter for you to read this evening. Remember how the church began? And I mean, there was like 3,000 souls. And I believe the church was meeting daily. Whoa, there's a whole lot of needs happened all of a sudden, wasn't there? And if you read that, you will find that there were those that sold property, sold what they had, and, and spread it throughout the entire community. That was the gift of giving. That was a super giver, if you will. A super giver. Giving with liberality. Now, let's go back to that word simplicity. Can you, anyone got any answers for that? Let him do it with simplicity. What does that mean? What is he referring to? Well, let me try. Let me try. And you, I'm sorry, somebody had something? Without making, a big deal. Without making a big deal? That would certainly be part of it. Okay? What if, I, what if it said, but do it with duplicity? What would that be saying? Giving with duplicity. What does that mean? Hidden motives. In other words, let's see if we could get, if we could get a television crew over here as I'm giving a million dollars to this facility. And we, and, and, right, do, you see, do you see what I'm saying? Without, with, with simplicity would be with no motives, no show, no nothing. You're just meeting the need that God has placed on your heart. Do you see the difference? Now, the Pharisees, of course, that wasn't something that they were really big on. They loved to show and tell or tell and show. It was all about that, wasn't it? This gift, this 
this gift of giving literally is very low-key, but very high force and super giver in its nature with simplicity, not duplicity, not with any motives at all. I think we have one left. Let's keep going. You guys are hung it. Hung it. Actually, we have two left. I'm sorry. I'm getting you close, though. He that ruleth, ruleth, I'm sorry, he that ruleth with diligence. What's ruling? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Leadership, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, that sense of government or managing, overseeing, mobilization, piloting. It's almost like piloting a ship. It would be that person that has given, you know, you know, I have some leaders that they can just see stuff. They just know how it has to go. They're the big picture people. I'm one of those guys that I don't see a lot of the details, and you'll get that phone call. Uh, Larry, did you think about that? No, I didn't, Right? I'm a big picture guy. That's the sense of leadership. It's those that can really start to see how it all flows together and they see it in their mind and it just starts to fit. Those are the people who would come up and say, you know, we don't have a, um, we don't have a tape ministry or whatever. And you know what? Well, great. God put it in your heart. Go ahead and take off with that. See, those are the ones that have ideas. Let them roll. Let them roll. I, that's one of the things that I just yearn for is is leadership, those that have, where God has placed something in their mind that's really important to them, you're not going to get it. Go for it. And that's what the church, I mean, motive, it's not motivation. It is, uh, what's the word I used? You can tell me. I told you a little bit ago. Just a second. I'll find it. How come I can't? Oh, mobilization. It's like bringing the forces together and getting after it. Piloting, leading, managing, overseeing. In fact, that, you know, the two, the two offices that are talked about, I can't get down this trail too far either, in the sense of uh, church uh, leadership, uh, that of a deacon and one of an elder. The difference between a deacon and an elder is that an elder must have or are said to have the, the gift of teaching. They should be able to systematically line up the scriptures. They're a spiritual leader, if you will. Now, the deacon, uh, their, their roles are very, very closely related, and they have a lot of the leadership skills, the management skills, that sense of piloting and directing the order of the church. Very important. Very, very important. You will find those gifts to be uh, in those kinds of places. And lastly, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. We're moving quickly. He said, uh, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy. It's actually just exactly what it says. The sense of having compassion, consoling. The word is hilaros, which is where we get hilarity from in the sense of that, that sense of joy and peace and cheer, I'm sorry, joy and cheerfulness. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14 for a moment. The ministry to poor, to the downtrodden, to the jail, those that are in misery, all of those places. I think of the world in which uh, it's talked about today, these large cities that literally today um, are struggling from an enormous amount of homelessness. Um, I mean, just it, it's magnanimous, the task that is before us as a nation and it's easy to turn away from it, isn't it? Just turn your head. Now, that's not at all what the gift of mercy would do. Uh, chapter 14 and verse 21 of Proverbs says this. He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. That's exactly correct. Happy is he. Um, and you'll find that person that is able to get involved in so much amazing ministry. Um, one of the things that we haven't done here that I think would be which, which have enormous 
situation. I, I think of the prison ministries that have taken place. Uh, Chuck Colson, after he was in prison, think of how God worked in his life. He was uh, in the Nixon administration and uh, was, was caught uh, in whatever, and he was sentenced and went to jail. As a result of that, literally gets out, gets saved, his life turns around, he goes back into a prison ministry and has had massive, massive results. There's always a place for that, isn't there? A massive place. And all of these, uh, think, think of the homeless. Uh, we, we're not as prone to it, but take in Los Angeles or some of these cities. It's, it's just out of, out of control, completely out of control. Totally out of control. One with a gift of mercy can't not help helping. It's a wonderful thing. Do you see how well-rounded this is when these gifts are all utilized and given to others? How the church begins to flourish and grow? And it's all in the name of worship. One of the things that probably we'd have to ask ourselves as a result of, and he's saying all of this through these not several verses is, whatever your gift is, do it. Do it. And don't worry so much about exactly fine-tuning what it is. Just go. God works from the inside. That metamorphosis coming back to renewing your mind. God will put something in your mind and then get after it. Go for it. God is glorified and you are worshiping and everyone is edified. The church is edified. It's built up. All of those things take place. Oh, right? But it's just the way God wants it. It's just the way God ordered it. And it's just what makes everything work smoothly, intricately, and efficiently. Questions or comments? I'll tell you what, let's, I'm going to leave you with this verse then. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is, a, this is a good one to leave you with. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll start in verse 6. This is Paul's last letter, last written letter, and he's mentoring Timothy, and he's bringing him along, and he opens up this way. In the first several verses, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6 says this, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. I'm going to ask you to stir up that gift that is within you. Every one of you has a gift if you've trusted Christ. Stir it up. Get going, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Probably the thing that will, will be at the end of the church age is the fact of apathy. Just not caring enough to even go on. I, uh, we're, we, we're, we're losing it. And I'll tell you what, if you take note of what's going on in our national scene politically today and where our slant is, it's scary. It's downright scary what's going on. And you know what? I'm, I'm here to tell you, we do not have a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of power. And more than we can think or ask. In fact, I'm going to maybe go back and read that in Romans chapter 8 just to finish up. But uh, there's, 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 we have a gigantic gigantic, um, what, how should I say this? Um, the word just completely flew out of my mind. We have an advantage, I'll just say that, we have a gigantic advantage being on God's side. And the rest of the world, no matter what it is, what it's about, has no way of conquering anything that Jesus Christ has set out to fix and to prove and to be His. Stir up the gift that is within you. I'm going to see if I can find... I want to, now, I was wrong. Let's go to Ephesians. And this will... I, I promise this will be our last. Ephesians chapter 3. And let's read verses 20 and 21. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, that's like super out there, above all that we ask or think, beyond what you can ask or think, according to the power that worketh within us, the Holy Spirit that's working within you, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all of ages, world without end, amen. Now, if that doesn't stir up your gifts, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Okay, so now I want you to review, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put, a, put a close on it. Okay, you have how many, how many areas of gifts did we talk about today? Three categories. Okay, yeah. Did, what did I, did I say categories? Did I say, anyway, let, we got three categories, sign, speaking, serving. We've been talking about the speaking and serving because this is what really makes the church go around. This makes it go around. Now, we talked about seven areas or seven, I'm going to say it, seven areas of gifts, and how many of those were there? Seven, okay? Seven. And of those seven, let's work our way through it. If we have the gift of prophecy, that is what in regards to the truth? Proclaiming the truth. It's proclaiming the truth. And then it's in service, our serving is... Excuse me? Yeah, putting truth in action or the operations of it all. I mean, literally, if you take the church and you want to say, this is what we, we need, this kind of an attitude in this church, it would be one of, that's the operation is serving one another. That's what makes it all happen. Then thirdly, we have teaching, and that is what? Systematizing the truth. That there is kind of the nuts and bolts of within the inner workings of the church is understanding the word of God systematically. Number four is what? Okay, and what, what's the gift? Exhortation, and it is motivating. Absolutely. Show me someone that has a gift of encouragement, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I want that person running around the room, and I want them to motivate, to encourage, to lift up, to just push people <laughs> on top of the mountain, right? Okay, number five. Giving, and that is? Didn't I give it to you? Uh-oh. I didn't give it to you. Just a second. Oh, implementation. That's Implementation. That kind of keeps a lot of the financial things going, a lot of the things that, that just need to be coming from the outside. That super giver is an implementation, okay? Next was ruling, and that is mobilization. That's bringing all the forces together and having a plan and making it work. And the last one is mercy, and that is consolation, caring for those that are in a, a really difficult position, reaching out. And all of those together is when the church and individuals, and there's a body is made up of members, individual members, individuals make up the body, and when all of those things are given, which God, by his own grace, according to however he deals it out, guess what happens? Not only do the individuals worship, the church worships, and God is glorified, it expands and expounds on the truth, and the world is changed. That is exactly what Paul is wanting from chapters 12 of, of, of Romans all the way through the end of the book is making, bringing learning to living. And what was the other one? Um, doctrine to duty. There we go. All right. It seems like it's all fitting together, right? All right. Questions or comments? Anything? And we're going to call her good. It's all good, it looks like. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace.
Father, thank you for the things we're not even thankful for, that we don't even know about the cost of them that Jesus bore. Thank you, Father, for your not changing. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. The things that are important to you in eternity ago are the same as they are eternity in the future. Thank you, Father, for caring enough to love us, not just telling us, but showing us. Father, may we one-on-one be dealing relationally with you. First of all, if there's someone here that doesn't know you personally, that has not placed their trust in you as a God, the creator, the one that has meticulously designed a universe with a plan that's in force to regain what was lost of what sin separated from you, Father. Jesus Christ made sure that redemption was possible. The purchase power was strong and stout and forever. Father, I pray that that person today would come to a believing, a trusting relationship in Jesus Christ. And those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ, Father, that we would gain a new hold, a new lease on your desires for us to be closer to you relationally as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ And, Father, that we would use the gifts that you've given to us. Not talk about them, but literally just jump in and use them. And may we worship you. Our highest level of worship is obedience. May we do what we know to be true. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. We pray for each one of these in their particular situations at home as they're traveling. Father, this week be a time of unfolding decisions for them and allowing them, Father, to see you as they've never seen you before. I ask that they would trust you implicitly with their lives, their minds, and their wills. We give you all that we are, for they're yours anyway. We thank you now for what you're accomplishing because of what Jesus did. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.